Amen. I want to encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Um, Exodus chapter 20, as I have mentioned, and as you probably know, we are walking our way through the 10 words from the book of Exodus, sometimes referred to as the 10 commandments. Um, This section of scripture forms the real moral backbone of the Bible's teaching. It's the moral foundation of the life of God's people. And we have been pursuing this from a pastoral burden that I've mentioned to you guys that um, I feel just sort of pastorally and I see it inside my own heart. And that's that we don't necessarily really understand obedience. I think somehow we're trained to think we're supposed to obey God because that's the right thing to do. And we'll do the very best we can to do that. But we'll somehow trade something that's better for obedience. And the Bible will talk about it exactly opposite of that. I'm gonna give you a little metaphor, sort of an introduction before the introduction here. Um, But my daughter recently was eating something sticky and sweet, and it was all over her fingers. And I said, baby, let me just get a um, washcloth and let's clean that off. And she said, no, daddy. And she started just getting every little bit of the sweetness. That's the exact metaphor that Scripture uses in Psalm 19 to speak of God's holy law. It's the sweetest thing we could imagine eating. So in these weeks together, we're trying to get our hearts and our minds, maybe even our bodies, our souls, around that kind of precious truth. So tonight we hit the third word, and I'm going to read for you from Exodus chapter 20. Um, I'll continue to just read all of these commandments as we go, but the third word from verse 7 will be our sermon text, and as you know, it's our custom to pair that with a reading from the New Testament, and tonight's reading will be a reading from the book of Revelation. I wanted to find one of the more serious texts in all the Bible, so that's what we'll read in conjunction with this. So Exodus chapter 20, would you hear these words from our Lord? Beginning in verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Just listen to these words from the book of Revelation. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking in me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, 
like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like the burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars from his mouth, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades." This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask in these moments that you would do the thing that only you can do, the thing that you've promised to do. Lord, that is by the power of your spirit to shine light on these words, to shine light in our hearts and to use them in your kindness and your mercy. Lord, to shape us into the people you've had, you'd have us be. And Lord, we also want to ask that you'd use them to give us great hope in our Lord Jesus. Tonight we pray, and we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I grew up in a southern household in the deep south, this area, And as a man who grew up in a southern household in the deep south, I became acquainted from before I could really remember with this strange southern household phenomenon. And the phenomenon is of the fine china cabinet. In my house, we had a china cabinet. And inside the china cabinet was the fine china. Fine china is these, are these dishes that I can remember my entire life. I lived in that house for you know, 18 years and visited it often, and we ate on that china one time. Whenever I would walk near the china cabinet, it was like, be careful of the china cabinet. There was a time when I was young, I was practicing a baseball swing nearby the china cabinet. Not with a baseball bat, because I'm not that you know, foolish, but with my hands. And I practiced a baseball swing, and as I followed through, my hand went right through the glass of the china cabinet. Everything was fine. Nobody worry. Um, Except it wasn't because it was like one of the more traumatic things that has ever happened in my household because it was the china. I learned when I was a kid that there are certain dishes. If you don't know what china is, it's dishes, okay? Um, There are certain dishes that are unique. I learned that there are certain dishes that are different. I learned that there are certain dishes that are special. I learned that there are certain dishes, plates, cups, forks, etc., that are non-ordinary. I learned that there are certain dishes that are more valuable. There are some that are even most valuable. I learned that there were some that are precious. I learned that there were some that were sacred. I learned there were some that were set apart. I learned that there were some that were consecrated for special 
use. To put it in the language of the Bible, I learned that there were certain dishes in my household that were holy. And I learned that you treat holy things with great care. And now I'm done talking about dishes. What about the most holy thing in all the world? What about the most holy thing in all the universe? As you will see as this goes on, what about the most holy one in all the universe? The name of the Lord in the Bible is presented as the most important, most valuable thing in all the universe. And that is what this commandment, this word, this text is about. And related to that, that to treat the Lord's name flippantly, carelessly, would be the deepest offense in all the universe, too. So here's what we're going to do in the time we have together. I want to ask really two questions of this simple command. First question, what's going on here? What is the big deal about God's name? What is God's name? What does that mean in the Bible? And then secondly, I want to ask, what is the invitation to you and me? Because remember, as I just said, obedience to God is the sweetest thing that we can do. Obeying God, the best thing that we can do. So somehow we've got to learn to hear words like this as an invitation or somehow we're missing it. So what's going on here, this idea of God's name, and then what's the invitation here? And after we explore those two questions, I think you're going to see kind of form one big main idea. This is the main thing I want you to hear this afternoon. If you don't hear anything else, I'll say, this is it. Don't miss this part. This text teaches us that the Lord desires, he demands to be respected and further, he desires and demands to be represented faithfully. And the good news that I'll announce to you today is that in Christ, a way has been made for us to become the kind of people that do just that. Always remember, everything the Lord requires, he has provided to you and me in Christ. So let's take a look. First question, what's going on here? What about this name of the Lord? Look with me again at verse 7 of Exodus 20. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What's going on here? What is this about the name? What are we talking about? When I was growing up in church, um, I was taught that not taking God's name in vain basically meant don't say, oh my God. Don't exclaim that. 
When you stub your toe, don't yell out God's name or Christ's name. Now, the Bible's gonna tell us a ton of stuff about being careful with our words. And being careful with our words, particularly when they refer to God's name, is a wise thing to do. But this passage is talking about something deeper and richer and more. So let me explain. This phrase, the name of the Lord, or the name of God, or the name of the Lord your God, is going to occur 1,500 times in the Bible. So the name of God, the name of the Lord, and what it means is a major theme in the Scriptures. Let me continue to unfold this for you. This phrase, the name of the Lord, and hear me, it becomes a shorthand phrase for God's holy character. More specifically, it's shorthand for the person of God. It's shorthand for everything God is, everything that he's promised to do. We're not talking about a word as much as we're talking about a person. So for example, the phrase name of the Lord will often be paired with this phrase to call. So you'll get a formulation in the scriptures to call upon the name of the Lord. See, when we call upon the name of the Lord, we're actually, it's actually not just a signal to pray to God, though that's part of it. When we're calling upon the name of the Lord, what we're saying is in this moment, Lord God, we need you to be the fullness of everything that you've promised right now. That's what it means to call upon God's name. So, so let me give you an example. Um, if, if, for example, Mandy and I and our family, let's say we were struggling financially and we were worried about provision for our needs. And I were to say to her, well, let's call upon the name of the Lord. I wouldn't just mean to pray, though that would probably be part of it. But what I would be doing is saying, God, you have promised to be a provider. And now we need you to make good on your promises to be faithful to us right now. That's what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. Let me, let, me just, let me just keep telling you a little bit more about this idea of the name of the Lord in the scriptures. There's a famous scene in the Bible where in Exodus 34, Moses is on the mountain and the Lord passes by and the Lord himself declares his name. In other words, he's about to declare his character. He's about to declare what he's like. He's about to declare, I can't believe I'm about to say this, kind of his, his bio, Okay. And listen to what he says. He passes by Moses and he says, the Lord, the Lord, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. That's his name. That's who he is. That's his character. When the Lord announces his name to Moses, which will happen again 14 chapters later from this command, what he is saying, and you've heard me say this around grace lots of times recently, 
What he's saying is the most powerful being in all the universe is also the most kind. But he's also saying the most powerful one in the universe who's also the most kind, hear me, is also the most serious. We might even say dead serious. Life and death serious. This is, this is the Lord we're talking about. And he says in this command, look with me again at verse seven, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. In vain means flippantly, worthlessly, carelessly, like it's no big deal. In other words, we don't respond, behave toward the Lord as if he is no big deal because he is the biggest deal, the most important person in all the universe. You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In other words, there's a stern warning here. And if we don't hear it, we'll miss it. This is not the kind of thing we let travel in one ear because it's roughly 5.15 p.m. And this is what we do and travel out the other ear and move on. So when the Lord is calling us to this way of responding to him, What's he talking about? So let me unfold it a little bit more. The first thing I think we should think with this word, this command, is the idea of respect. This word, this commandment, is making the strongest statement imaginable against flippancy, carelessness, when it comes to the things of God. We need to heed this warning. So let me challenge you here. I want to challenge you here. I want to pastorally challenge you here. And just hear me. When I say the hard things I'm about to say to you right now, I'm saying them to me. I'm going to give you kind of two ways we can sort of flippantly deal when it comes to God. The first way, and it might be obvious, but the first way would be sin. See, when we know what the Lord has required and we overlook that and look past it like it's no big deal and either do not do the thing he's required, like leave something undone or do something he's um, forbidden, something we've done. You see, that, that's not just an oops thing. It is a deep affront to his person. There are some patterns of sin, y'all, that are rooted in our weakness. We're just not what we wished we would be. And I know you're acquainted with that type of sin. I know that I am. But there are certain patterns of sin that are rooted in our rebellion. And I wonder if you know 
what I mean. You know, sometimes I will tell my children to do something, or I will tell them not to do another thing. And often, um, they will not hear me, and I'll need to repeat, okay? But sometimes, they will claim to not hear me. Other times, they will say these words to me. I forgot. And sometimes they did. But sometimes they didn't. And in that moment, what they are saying to me is I do not understand whom I'm dealing with, or either I do and I just don't really care. And I'm making a argument here from kind of the lesser to the greater, like how much more when our posture toward God is that way? So sin, sin would be an, an easy, obvious way that we sort of say, your name, Lord, your character, your person, eh, flippant, careless. But let me tell you another thing that's, that's not so obvious and something you hear me talk about around grace all the time is sin is one thing. I think there's a second thing, and I'll just call it side interest. Side interest. The idea that God, the things of God, the things that he has required, the gathering with his people, the being present for the things that he's called us to, to just treat that as sort of like, well, if I look at my watch and I've got time to do that thing, yeah, sure, <laughs> I'll do that. In other words, our life is one thing, and we do our thing, and we go to our work, and we do the stuff that we do, and then at some point we think to ourselves, oh yeah, I guess we should be attentive to the Lord. So let me carve out, I don't know, six minutes to think about him. By the way, six minutes to think about him can be deeply precious and holy, especially when he is the center thing that everything else revolves around. But a flippant sort of, I'll devote my attention to the things of God if I just sort of have the time for it. I think this text would tell us it's not just that that's bad. It mostly shows us we don't know the Lord. We don't understand his infinite value. And I'm talking to me here. You know, it is easy. It is stunningly easy. You'd be surprised how easy it is to be a pastor of a church and treat the Lord God as a side interest that you get paid for. So if respect is one thing, responsibility would be another word that comes to my mind. So let me unfold this deep, even more deeply. Look with me again at verse seven. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We're not just talking about respect. We're also talking about responsibility. Let me explain. This, this word that you see in your Bible, you shall not take, you shall not take, the word take, 
Let me just give you the range of ways we can understand this word, the range of ways that this same common word will be translated in a lot of other parts of, of, the, of the Bible, the Old Testament in particular. It can mean things like this, to take, yes, or to carry, or to bear, like bearing a load, to bring, to bring forth, to lift, to hold, to advance. I mean, seriously, a ton of times in the scriptures, the word just simply means to pick up one thing and to take it another place. But that begins to hint at the deep responsibility. See, a holy God, an other God, made a holy other people. And he gave this holy other people a holy, sacred responsibility to take him and his character and his ways and his word and to take him with them all the places that they would then go on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Thursday or a Friday or a Saturday or all the other days. See, the calling of God's people, we learn in the book of Exodus, is to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation that would represent God, his character, and his worth to the world. And by the way, in the book of 1 Peter, the apostle Peter uses the exact same language to talk about Christ's church. We're a kingdom of priests, we're a holy nation, we're people who've been called out of darkness into marvelous light so that we can represent God to the world everywhere we go. And when I put it to you like that, can you already start to feel the challenge of it? So in the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord tells his people, I want you to obey my law. I want you to represent me to the world in such a way that other nations will see you as my people and think to themselves, what kind of nation has a God like that God who's so near to its people? The calling of God's people is to be a light to the nations. But can you feel the deep challenge? And if you can't, if you haven't felt it, let me just put it to you plainly. And again, this is going to be a hard thing to hear. And when I say it to you, I'm saying it to me. This text teaches us that the way we live, the way we move, the way we respond, the way we have our being in this world shows people what God is like. To go back to the Exodus 34 language, it's like this kind of moment should happen in our life. Let me just imagine a moment in your life. Imagine a person in your life who hears that the Lord is patient and they think to themselves, how can God, the God of all things, be so patient? At that moment, somebody is supposed to say to you, I don't know, it's mysterious, but have you seen that person? It's kind of like that. Let's say a person in your life hears the idea that God is kind and merciful. And they think to themselves, how could the God of all things be kind and merciful? And another person is supposed to say, I know, it's mysterious. Um, but, but have you seen the way that 
that person is kind and merciful. It's kind of like that. Someone in your life is supposed to hear this news that the God of all things is gracious and faithful to do the things that he has promised. And they might have the thought, how can a God that's God of everything actually care to be faithful to promises? And then another person is supposed to say, I know, it's hard to understand, but have you seen the way that is faithful? It's kind of like that. Think about it for a second. I'm gonna give you some examples. If someone watched you parent your children, what would they think God is like? If someone sees the way you speak or respond to your spouse, what would that lead them to believe that God is like in his person? If someone were to spend a day with you in the way you interact with your roommates, what would that lead them to think God is like? If someone to see the way you are at play, like in recreation, what would that lead them to think that God is like? If a coworker were to interact with you, what would that lead them to think that God is like? It's a deeply challenging question, isn't it? And the honest truth is it's probably a lot of mixed bag. Hey, so what's God like? I don't know. What's Joel Busby like? Kind of hurried, short-tempered, harsh, can lack self-control, kind of forgets his promises. I think there's good things too. That's not for me to say. You know, I'm sweating telling you this, and I know it's not just because it's hot in here. But, but, but this, kind of, this kind of word from God is supposed to undo us. It's supposed to strip us bare. It's supposed to expose us. And we've already confessed it today. So in this moment, what we need is the hope of the gospel. And it will be my joy to announce it to you beginning right now. So what's the invitation? So can I just tell you the invitation? We have to learn to hear God's holy commands as invitations. So what's the invitation? First of all, the invitation, when you hear words like this, the invitation is to repent. You might not think of repentance as an invitation, but for throughout the pages of the scriptures, it's talked of like this. Perhaps God will grant repentance. It's, it's a gift. Repentance is a gift. 
The good gifts of God that await you on the other side of repentance, turning and moving toward Christ are unspeakable for me to even describe to you. So first of all, this is an invitation to repent. Second thing, remember, repentance is always about coming to Jesus. So secondly, it is an invitation to look to Christ and the life that he offers. Remember, Christ is a gift before he's an example. And listen to this. Jesus Christ, the scriptures teach us, bears the name of God perfectly, and he gives that perfect record of righteousness to you and me as a gift that then we're literally able to grab and take hold of and live from. This same Jesus who bears God's name perfectly, who offers his righteousness to us as a gift, don't forget, he goes to the cross to die in order to purchase forgiveness of sins, even for people who treat him carelessly, flippantly, and hear me, especially for those people, which is another way of saying, especially for you and for me. Martin Luther, one of my favorite reformers, is famous for saying, God gives grace to no one but sinners. And as if that were not good enough, as if that were not enough, here's the promise that his spirit becomes living inside of you. And it begins to transform you. The spirit of God begins to transform us in such a way that we're able to keep his holy commands. Now let me read for, for you from Jeremiah 31. This is talk of a new covenant. If this is the old covenant, these words, there's a new covenant in Christ. And listen to what is available to those in Jesus when it comes to these things. Listen to this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was a husband, declares the Lord. But this is the new covenant. For this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here it is. I will put my law within their heart. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbors and each brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. And I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The promise, y'all, is that Jesus Christ has begun a good work of making you the kind of person who can obey and bear his name. The great hope of your life that he's promised to do it. The great hope of your life is the day that Jeremiah is talking about is literally today. And the great promise is that it's for you even now. It's happening. And you'll be faithful to complete this. You know, just a pastoral comment, I've known you for five years and I see maturity creeping up in you. 
It's happening. So the first invitation is to repent. The second, to look to Christ. The third is just an invitation to joy. You won't believe how satisfying and sweet it would be to be mindful and careful with God and by the power of his spirit to bear his name faithfully. You won't even believe the joy that can be yours to live that way. You will really, 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 really like it. Let's pray. Oh Lord, there are things that are harder to live than to speak about from a pulpit, even though that can often be hard too. But Lord, we ask by the power of your spirit that you would be at work. We call upon your name to be at work, to write your law on our hearts, to be so kind to lead us to repentance, to be so kind to lead us to joy. So would you help us, we pray. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.